0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Got a great show planned for you. Uh, gonna be talking about uh some of the things that foul people up in trying to date. What is the difference between all these different things that emerge when we're crushing and falling in love with someone? Later in the show, we'll be separating all that out, kind of giving you some tips and tricks. And uh also talking about uh regulation, self-regulation. May is mental health awareness month. I keep reminding you all that, so we're going deep on this stuff. Um DMs always open. If you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveland IG page. Love to hear from you, whatever you're wondering about. Ask those questions. Um, Trigger warning, we're gonna talk uh, briefly about suicide and suicidality, uh, really important stuff. And I wanna just talk about it from kind of a wider global lens. I think a lot of times we individualize it and we see it as um, a self-contained individualized issue, which is what we historically have done with mental health. but. All mental health issues and struggles happen within the context of place and time and history, social location, all of people's different intersecting identities all come together to create mental health issues. What does it mean? And your genetics, but it's not just one of those things, just having, you know, there's no such thing as having genetics that are going to directly cause anything. It's everything's far more complex than that. Genetics work (laughs) in a more complex nuanced way than that as well. So just because you have the um, presence of something doesn't mean that it will necessarily manifest, right? We talk about things like, Oh, you could possibly be set up biologically and genetically to be a whiz at the um, the piano, right? You could really have that, but if you never get, sat down in front of a piano it'll never be known or emerged if you are in a social world that doesn't really valorize or appreciate musical abilities you might not continue to do it right all these factors come in if you are in a economic situation where you can't afford pianos or piano lessons that's going to matter right so it's always about what time and place we in history what culturally is happening what culturally is important to us right are you know and all these other pieces so I wanna always talk about these systemic causes because that's what all of us have responsibility for. And that's where all of us can have a hand in helping other people's mental health, right? When we really dismantle these problematic systems and institutions that create these dynamics that force people to have to struggle or be resilient. So... Basically, I challenge everyone to make it your job, to help create a world that's safe for everyone to exist, that gives everyone the best chance they can to feel good about themselves and to kind of water down and maybe even eliminate some mental health issues and struggles, right? That's all of our responsibility, but that's when we move into talking about things like community care, collective responsibility. I want to stop focusing so much on self-care because that puts everything on the individual to manage and to do better. It's like, yeah, but what's going on in their world and in the world, right? That that they're needing to do self-care, to battle and to survive within and to have resilience, right? It's like, let's look at the causes and not just put the responsibility on people to deal with their reactions or responses. So our, our work, all of us, is to create a safer place where everyone can exist, to focus on healing, destigmatizing mental health and talking about it, right? Because individual resilience is important, but it it personalizes and privatizes and individualizes all these is's, uh, the situation, and it takes the focus off of what can be done and what we all need to do, right? Because mental, inv- uh, mental health issues tend to be in- invisible, right? They're not always apparent to everyone or everyone around them, right? So we have to ask those around us, like how's your mental health? We've talked about that. Uh, But suicide prevention, let's start this way. It's providing living wages, universal health care and access to mental health services. So part of being mental health centered, right, which everyone claims to be, I see everyone hashtag mental health, everyone's putting on programming and talking about it and posting all these memes and hashtagging it great. But are you actively working on some of the foundational things that make it easier or harder? Like I said, such as offering living wages, that is part of mental health. How does that Create mental health issues, or how does that amplify or make better universal health care and access to mental health services? Right, like all that matters. I work with people that are telling me about family members that are depressed, have a problematic relationship to drugs or alcohol. They're victims to drugs and alcohol. That's what an addict is—is is a victim to drugs and alcohol and societal pressures and issues. Well, if they don't have health care, what do we do? How are we being mental health centered as a culture if we're not helping these people get access to that? So that's in there. That's where we all have that responsibility. Suicide prevention is also ending oppression. Please don't think that racism, homophobia, transphobia, sexism, ableism, body shaming, classism, please don't think that that aren't, that those things aren't woven in, right? Amplifiers, or, or literally the direct cause of someone's mental health struggles and issues. So you wanna be a mental health advocate? Stop with the sexism, the homophobia, and the classism. That's, the, that's something we all can do. We can all hold others accountable, right? All of that determines people's mental health. You cannot work to improve mental health or prevent death by suicide without addressing those social and systemic forms of violence and oppression. Tomorrow's show, we're gonna open by talking more about it, so you gotta stick around and join us tomorrow. It's part two, (laughs) but that's important, and we all do have a hand in that, so I don't want people thinking, what can I do? I feel helpless. Nope, you can step in and help end those systems. You can help people get access to healthcare and all of that. That is something we can all do. Um, so coming up next, we're gonna keep pushing through, but um something for us all to think about. How are we contributing, right? And how are we helping to eliminate responsibilities on all of us? Um past episodes of Love Line, check them out over at wearechannelq.com. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on channel Q, brought to you by Astroglide. All right, we're back. It is, uh, it it continues to be May. Uh, That's what I was gonna say. No, it continues to be Mental Health Awareness Month, which is May. So we're really spending this week uh, focusing exclusively on mental health tips and concepts. Um, You know, as always, sprinkling in a little bit of other stuff, like later in the show, we'll be talking about chemistry and compatibility. So we'll be bringing you that love, relationship, dating, and sex stuff. But I wanted to just talk about some more relational skills. Um, You know, again, Relationships, they are what bring us to our knees. They are what shows us where our work is, what our struggles are. Uh, They're the most difficult things for most of us will ever step into. Why? Because it's an open, ongoing, active system, right? There's no such thing as, ah, well, that's handled. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like a lot of things resurface. One of the more difficult things I have to tell people, whether I'm working with, you know, a parent and child, uh, two siblings, or a romantic couple is, a lot of the things that y'all struggle with will continue to be things you struggle with. And what we hope for is that we get better at it, that it happens less often, that the severity decreases, that we're quicker and better at our resolution and repair. And what I mean by resolution is not, ah, well that's handled, but more like we can hold this and move forward right? We can both still not have complete resolution of said issue, but I still know that I love you and I care about you. Now what's for dinner and what movie are we watching after dinner? That's what it looks like. That's what a healthy couple lands with. So really, really hear that again. This is the the, the metaphor, the allegory, right? All of those things are tied into this, which is resolution is not always resolution. Resolution is picking away at it or just acknowledging it and saying, ah, there it is. You know, we, we we never agree on this and that's okay. Why? We don't have to. Again, a lot of relationship in, in its broadest term is moving forward with some things unresolved. Please know, closure and resolve are not always possible within certain relationships, right? Or around certain topics because the topic is open-ended and ongoing or the topic is something we diametrically have different opinions on or because of what us as a couple, mother, child, friend and friend, loved ones, what our stuff is, it might not be resolvable. But healthy individuals recognize I can still care and love you while acknowledging that those things are still there and exist. And we can not ignore them, not sweep them under the rug, but we can put them in a box and come back to them. I tell couples that all the time when they're at a on a holiday. Um, At an actual holiday or away on holiday for vacation, I say, that is not the time to get into anything highly conflictual. Come back to it. Realize we're still in love. We can have this exist. We can come back to it and shelve it when we get back home. We have to be able to do that. That's that mental and emotional intelligence, that flexibility and fluidity. You're not all bad, you're not all good. But again, as humans, we struggle to hold both, that you are both bad and good at the same time. We don't like that, that's hard for our our human brains. We prefer to be very polarized. You're all good or you're all bad, and it's wild to watch. Two people are out, they're in love, they're all good. I love everything about you, I love our relationship. Something bad happens, and all of a sudden, magically, where seconds ago you were all good, and I loved everything about you, now you're all bad and I hate everything about you and I never want to see you again. Well, which one's more honest? Neither. The most honest position is that we're all both. We're, we are, and you have to hold both. And healthy people can that I can be frustrated with my best friend but still have fun for the rest of the time we're on vacation. You know what I mean? Like that part of you ignores the heck out of me but you're still my friend and we'll come back to it. Or I know that that's part of our work as friends is encountering and dealing with that. So when that comes up again in another hour or tomorrow on vacation, right? You love to drink and I don't or whatever the issue is or how you get while drinking, hopefully we'll deal with it better. And a higher level coping mechanism in those moments is often things like humor. Loving humor, not patronizing humor, but loving humor. We say, ah, here we are again, the drinking issue. You know, but again, please don't think that resolve means it's handled, it's done, it's resolved. Please don't think resolve means that we both think the same way about it. My favorite example will always be going to a movie or a restaurant. One of you leaves and we both leave and one of you first says, that was phenomenal. That meal or that restaurant or that movie. Oh my God, I love it. And the other one's like, what are you talking about? That was horrible. I hated it. You're both right, and you don't need to convince each other. And that's what happens. Come on, come on, come on. It wasn't that bad, duh da. Wait a minute. Why can't we hold the tension of opposites? That's part of health. We have to be able to do that. That restaurant was good to me. It was bad to you. It's both, right? I love you, and then you frustrated me, and I, and I love and hate you at the same time too. We have to be able to express both, though. Some people are uh, have fear of expressing frustration, disappointment or dislike in their child, in their partner, in their best friend. But that's called the shadow. We're, we're 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 suppressing it, but that doesn't mean it goes away. It doesn't mean it still doesn't live in us and with us, right? So those are the important parts of ourselves and and our relationships we have to be able to come in contact with. But I want to talk about some self-awareness building. So that's what we're going to spend the rest of this segment and the next segment talking about, which is we always have to start with self-assessment, right? We always have to start with how we are entering, what parts of this problematic system we're maintaining, right? Like what is our work? The first step is always looking at our level of sensitivity. How sensitive are we in general? You need to know that. Are you one of those people where you're easily thrown off the smallest things ruin your day or make you feel bad? Are you someone who's a little more resilient and robust where you can say, okay, you know, you have to know your level of sensitivity because that helps to develop this sense of I know that certain situations are going to be very hard for me. Certain things that are going to be said are going to be hard to me. I need to write size things. If something's about a level three, my response should be give or take plus or minus one, a two or a four of a response. I can't let level three things be treated like they're a level 10. And that's when we move into looking at reactivity. And we'll get into that after the break, but stay with the sensitivity part. How sensitive are you? And it's okay to acknowledge that you're highly sensitive. We really shame and pathologize that in our culture. No one wants to be told they're sensitive. I don't think you should tell anyone they're sensitive. I don't think that that's actually a helpful statement. I want us to be able to assess ourselves and say, are we sensitive? Do we tend to take things really hard? Do we right-size them? Are we in relationships? Well, let me say it differently. Are we the kind of person where those in relationship to us can tell us what they're struggling with or does that throw us off and take a little break when we come back and keep talking about this listen to love line with dr chris on the new channel q and on odyssey all right we're back and we're talking about relationships and reactivity and um you know in our last segment we were just addressing uh, we individually have to assess our own level of sensitivity how sensitive are we Are we able to be told by people in relationship to us, whatever the relationship is, um, what they're wondering, what they're struggling with, what's hard for them, when we've let them down or disappointed them? Can they come to us and say, hey, I was really bummed out with the fact that you didn't show up at my party last night. Do you fight, attack back, turn it into a 10? Or do you lovingly say, thanks for telling me. Please continue to tell me. I want us to have a safe, close relationship. Here's what was going on for me. Do you say it with that tone in that voice? Or do you get angry and pick a fight and tell them what they do that's wrong? Because the work is about staying on topic. Someone came to you with a concern. This conversation is about nothing more than their concern and getting some resolution around that, period, end of story. We are not interested in what you think is wrong with them. That is another conversation, and if you didn't bring it up yet, I'm not gonna trust the honesty if you're bringing it up now. Now is not your big moment to air your grievances. When you're calm at another time, feel free, right? That's part of your sensitivity. You're not able to sit there in the hot seat and let someone build intimacy because this is really what intimacy is. This is hard to say, it's gonna be hard to hear, but in a loving, constructive way, in service, of a, in service of us maintaining our relationship, I need to let you know you disappointed me or you hurt my feelings. And your answer should be nothing unrelated to that statement. I'm, I'm so, an apology, I'm sorry I did. I wouldn't wanna do that. Here's how I'm gonna work on being better. You're, you're assessing the sensitivity. Then we move into reactivity. Now we, now we've looked at how sensitive are you, if something's a three, can you respond with it like a three? How reactive are you? And that's when we start pushing more into that, right? How much do you react? Do you overreact? Do you underreact? Both are a form of violence against you and this other person emotionally. Underreacting is just as much as an avoidant tactic, just as much as an unwillingness to be intimate. I don't want you to be underreactive or overreactive. I want you to be honest, but calm and loving. Hey here's what I think about what you said, let me let you know. We're not defending, we're exploring, we're getting curious. Reactivity is really important because if you're always problematically reactive, then you're not safe for people to stay in relationship with. If we can't go to those people that are our family member, our friend, our loved one, someone we're dating, and say to them, here's what I'm struggling with, and if they get reactive and sensitive all the time, then then we can't continue to do that, then we can't even be with them. I, I worry about couples that can't have those conversations. I worry about couples that can't be confronted by their partner. And I don't like the word confrontation because it sounds aggressive. I have to come up with a better word, but I, I I worry about couples where each of them can approach the other in an intimate, loving way and say, "Here's here's a mirror. I'm going to hold it up and let you know and learn about yourself in relationship to me. We have to be able to do that. That is vital. So move through the week, the day. How sensitive am I? How reactive am I? How sensitive me is, do I have a right sized response internally and feeling? And then reactivity is the, the way you demonstrate that response and sensitivity. Is it over the top? I mean, both of them could really be collapsed down into does a three feel and get a response of a three or does something that's at a three or four, do you always feel and respond from a seven, eight, nine, or 10? Because that's your work is settling down cooling down. And that moves us into the final and third stage. How much time does it take for you to get balance and equilibrium? Ideally, very quickly. Or do these comments from someone we care about throw us off for hours or days? Because again, that's part of our mental health and our work is making sure that we get back to balance as soon as possible, that that doesn't throw us off for the day. I've worked really hard on this. Everyone in my life is able to say, hey, can we talk for a second? I'll say, sure, if it's a good moment. And they'll say, you know, the other day you really let me down. I called you and I wanted to talk through something and you kind of made it about you. My response would be like, thanks for telling me that. It's important that I know that. You know, it was a really hard day for me. I'm sorry I let you down. Do you want to talk about it now? And then we do. It's, it's, it's a level two. I, my, sensitive, my sensitivity is a level two. My reactivity is a level two. You know, I want this person to know that I care about them. So I hear them. If I need clar- clarity, I ask more questions. But I don't tell them everything that's wrong with them, right? I don't defend myself because I don't need to. What happened happened for them. It doesn't matter my intent. The impact was I let them down. And we have to really pay attention to the impact. The intent doesn't matter as much. But we tend to go there first. I didn't mean to do that. And it's like, that actually doesn't matter because you did. And I was harmed. Can we talk about the harm? Right? It goes back to that old example I've used. Whether you meant to or not, if you bump into me and I spill my coffee, you shouldn't lead with, I didn't mean to do that. You should lead with, are you okay? Did, do you need napkins? <laughs> do you want me to hold your coffee while you go to the bathroom and wipe that off? Can I buy you a new coffee? Go to healing and repair, not defensiveness, Right? Not going in on what you intended or didn't intend, that doesn't matter, harm occurred, right? Go to that. Check in on your sensitivity. Check in this week and today on your reactivity. Check in on how long it takes you to get back to feeling grounded and balanced. Not that this other person doesn't have a role in this, but we're starting with self-assessment. That is mental health, right? all right, we're gonna take a little break, and uh, we're gonna do some DMs, and then uh, when we come back, we're gonna be talking about chemistry and compatibility—really important stuff. I think the misunderstanding throws people off. We've talked about it before, but I mean, get, I got a couple of DMs this week that really circled this block, so I thought we need to kind of go through it again—new, new, new perspective. Um, and uh, past episodes of Love Line—you want to check them out? Go over to wearechannelq.com, scroll down, click on my face, bam, there they all are. So stick around, listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey we're back and before we get into the dms uh was looking at this really amazing powerful video on brute about calling out toxic masculinity i think the most distressing part of it was looking at the things that uh men thought that they couldn't do because they were male defined what they're wearing how they talk to their friends how close they sit to their friends i'm always moved when i see two men that need to sit a seat apart in like a movie theater, things like that. Because it's quote unquote, not masculine or it's too gay to sit close together. Well, there's nothing wrong with being gay. Masculinity is toxic as hell. Uh, Truth and mental health is living outside these gender roles and just being your freaking self and allowing closeness and intimacy. And it's this video of these guys being really vulnerable, talking about how they wanna wear, this one guy literally is talking about just wanting to wear a scarf under his baseball cap and he felt like that wasn't masculine enough. Like we've all helped build and we continue to maintain a structure like that. There's this high suicidality rate is among men because of the stresses and pressures that masculinity puts upon themselves. And they're trying to be alphas, and that whole term of alpha and beta comes from studies on wolves, and it's all been debunked. It doesn't even work that way. And anyone who's trying to live an archetype or a stereotype is struggling with their mental health. Mental health is liberation. It's about authenticity. It's not about following cultural rules around gender. You know, So we gotta dismantle all that. Oh my God, let's just all be better and do better, you know, for everyone. Uh, But all right, now it's time to glide into those DMs. Gliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I'm three months out of an open relationship. We decided to split because we were different in multiple aspects. Monopoly being a big one. As the more poly person, how can I tell when I'm hooking up with people again because it's fun Versus hooking up because I'm looking to feel the comfort I had consistently for five years. So again, let's just break this down. Poly does not mean you're just in a primary and having sex with others. Poly means you are in multiple, committed, ongoing relationships. They're all of worth and value. They're all care, you know? And monopoly means one person is poly; that's their relational orientation. They date and have multiple relationships. The other person's more monogamous based. They only are with that one, and that's what happens. Why? Because it's honesty. It's not about fair is fair, and 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 that's and that does happen. Uh, the mono person's like, I don't need to date more than one person, I'm content with just you, I don't have the time and the energy. And the other person upon meeting them says, well I am poly, I'm already in another committed relationship or you know, I'm not but I will want to be. And the mono person says, that's awesome, I'm mature enough to let you be who you are, I don't need to own you, I don't need to put those limits on you, right? And uh, but your question pushes further and says, how do I tell when I'm hooking up with people again because it's fun? versus cause I want to feel the comfort I had for five years. I don't think you need to know that distinction. Let it be both. We we never know why we're doing what we're doing in that way. But there's nothing wrong with hooking up. And and it should always be fun, right? And if it is fun and no one's harmed and it's consensual and it has compassion in it, well then it doesn't matter what it's about. Enjoy it. Go do it. You're single. Have as much sex as you can. Date as many people as you can. Just do it ethically, you know? And it'll be what it is. And it'll be a coping at some times. It'll be more about fun at other times. Maybe other moments will be about intimacy building. At other times, it'll be about sexual and relational exploration. And maybe it flourishes and builds into something more. But don't get hung up. Because again, sexuality can have a multitude of motives, right? And reasons for its existence in our life. And they're all valuable. So don't get so hung up on. Because I think what you're really saying is, is it good or is it bad? Should I be shaming it? No, Anything two consensual adults do that has compassion within it, right? We're looking at how it impacts us and them is good. You know, enjoy that time. You're single. That's a time for growth and exploration. Really stepping into the creative, diverse ways that your sexuality exists. So don't worry about that. You know, again, whenever I hear people trying to figure out if hookup culture is right for them, I just want to make sure that they're not getting hung up on some of the toxic ways that monogamy culture exists within that, that we're allowed to have sex that isn't in service of commitment. We're allowed to have sex that isn't in service of building relationship, right? We're allowed to have anonymous sex between two adults that are just at a certain place in their life where they want more fun or diversity, or they're trying to learn about themselves, or working on body esteem or sexual esteem. Those are all really important, valuable reasons to do that. So just enjoy yourself and be kind and you'll be good. Uh, coming up next, we're going to be talking about lust, compatibility and chemistry and all the different ways that they are valuable and important in relationship building, but can also throw us off if we don't understand the distinction. So stick around and join us. you listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. Gliding into the DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. Alrighty. We're back. Oh, we are sifting through and, uh, really kind of problem solving, uh, from the front end. Listen, let me tell you something. One of the, you know, it's in the top 10 of things that comes in my office, you know, remembering that I do couples and marital therapy and sex therapy. So a lot of the things that are brought into my office, um, excuse me, that's my coffee cup, uh, are very much framed around <clears throat> that entry point. Right? So what I mean when I say that is that there's this distinction that's often very confusing to individuals. And we talked about it on the show many, many, many months ago. And it got brought up in my DMs a couple of times directly and directly. It's it's this whole sense of like chemistry and compatibility. And I think we conflate the two terms. And that means that some people see them as the same thing, and they're not. And it's not an overcomplication. In fact, when I overcomplicate things, it's as a way, it's a way to really actually clarify. Um, it's kind of like the frustration that some people have with this ever-growing acronym for the um, the non-hetero or the non-cis-hetero community is actually nowadays the best way to frame it, LGBTQIA plus. And they're like, how many letters are you going to add? Well, as many as we need to, because when you're you know a marginalized or exploited identity or someone who's part of any um, gender or sexual minority, it's important to really take shape. And we take shape and we are real and we exist, which is an important part of mental health, when we have a label for who we are. And I think some people that have always been part of the majority, right, um, white or hetero and cis, able-bodied, able-minded, it's lost on us or them, however you want to look at it, depending on what we're talking about. It's lost on the majority that invisibility or erasure, not seeing yourself or hearing about yourself really impacts negatively your mental functioning. And so that's part of why we we add this acronym. Now, how does that relate to talking about chemistry versus compatibility? Well, we're starting to, again, get more specific with all these different ways that we can relate to another person. And we fine-tooth comb it and we give all these expansive, diverse terms as a better way to actually simplify and to have language for what's going on. So what does that mean? Well, Chemistry is a vital, vital, vital element. It's a resource, it's a bridge, it's a beautiful thing. Chemistry is just unconscious. It's this drive towards someone. It's a hunger for someone. It's an orientation towards someone. It's an interest, it's an energy, it's an excitement. It's, you know, you're flipping through your phone and you pause on someone's photo. That's, that's, that's a little bit of that chemistry. Something Something about them is drawing you in or holding your attention. Chemistry is very lust-driven. That's not a bad thing, lust is a good thing. Lust is passion, passion for whatever we're doing. It's We're lusting after, but we tend to put that lust that we're in a very erotic context. But it's lust. It's 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 this chemistry that we feel when we see someone or when their space with them that makes us walk towards them at the coffee shop to talk. It's it's that energy, that passion, that interest, that power that makes us step into our our vulnerability and say, "Hey, would you want to go on a date? Can I get your number?" Right. That's what's driving that lust chemistry is that thing that makes us take time to call them and text them and go for dinner and, and, and plan dates and carve space in the middle of our day to see them, right? It's this powerful chemistry that makes us repeatedly spend time with them so as to attach and build relationship. It's an important thing, we wanna have it. Without it, that glue is gone. Chemistry is a glue, it bonds us to the person, right? Um, it's what, it's what makes us do the difficult work and uh, of courtship. Courtship is time consuming. Courtship requires us to go into our anxiety and to challenge ourselves around our self worth and our desirability and our body esteem and our sexual esteem and all the different things in the world that have made us feel good or bad about ourselves. Chemistry is this driving force that makes us willing to step into all that right? Without chemistry, I'm not going to hit on anyone. Without chemistry, I'm not going to ask anyone out. Without chemistry, I'm not going to call someone. Without chemistry, I'm not going to spend time or money or energy to go on a date and keep seeing someone in order to attach and form a relationship. And hopefully that chemistry rides forward with us and and continues to be an available glue when we're not getting along, right? Because chemistry can sometimes exist even when we're not getting along as a couple because we're still attracted to them. They still make us laugh. We still smile when we think of them, right? So it's this necessary counterbalance almost to all the other negative or complicating factors that emerge when we encounter and are in relationship to a real person, right? So chemistry is something we can't really do much with. It just is or it isn't. We can't create chemistry when it's not there. And and I'm okay with that. Um, And chemistry is initial. Chemistry is about attraction. It's, it's bigger, it's a wider constellation than just attraction, but that's in there. And we can't create attraction if it's not there. Can it build down the road? Sure, some elements. Um, I think sometimes when someone says they weren't attracted to me at first, but then they became attractive, I think that's actually other levels of chemistry like personality, shared interest. I think it's those things start to enhance and make up for maybe some of the shortcomings in terms of physical attraction, but chemistry is vital and important. Um, we actually have to take a quick break, but uh, stick around when we come back. We're going to keep talking about chemistry, but also more importantly, the distinction between that and compatibility, and how that f- the um, failure to see that distinction fouls us up. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q, brought to you by Astroglide. All right, we're back, and uh, we're talking about the difference the important difference between all these different ways that we can uh, be related to someone in uh, you know a romantic erotic way we're talking about the difference between chemistry and compatibility really vitally important because people get confused and they uh, think that compatibility chemistry are the same thing they don't understand the distinctions and those distinctions are really what help us clarify whether or not this is someone we can or should be with long term so before the break, um, we were talking about chemistry and how chemistry is that unconscious pull and draw and power about um, attraction towards someone, and um, it's that it's 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 uh, how do I want to say it's um it's it's almost it's almost dishonest chemistry, right? Because it's a, an idealization and a romanticization of a person we don't know, right? So it's a lot of fantasy and projection. Right? You see this person across the room, you're drawn to them. You even go talk to them for a little bit, get their number, start texting them and calling them, you wanna go on a date, but yet you don't even know them. But yet you're so powerfully drawn to them, how? Based on what? Your, the chemistry of the attractiveness? Sure, that's in there, Desirability is powerful. But we also start to create a narrative as to who we think they are, how they'll fit into our lives. So it's very much projection, idealization, we romanticize the idea of who we think they are, who we want them to be, and we need that. That is what makes us do that difficult work of being vulnerable and asking them out, continuing to make time and space to see them, spending money to see them, right? So those are necessary components. But we can't build an entire relationship only on chemistry, and that's where this segment's gonna go next, is chemistry is important. Uh, We need it early on, or things would never get off the ground, right? No traction would be gotten. We would never ask someone out, or hit on them, or see them. We also hope that chemistry, the glue that can bond us and hold us in difficult times, we hope that that maintains itself, right? But chemistry can be lost. Um, oddly enough, it can't really be created or gained, but it can be lost. Um, so then what's this other piece? Well, it's compatibility, right? And it's this idea that chemistry and compatibility are separate just because you enjoy things and elements of them doesn't mean you're going to be drawn to them and come and have chemistry or the opposite, just because you find someone attractive. Um, and you like the idea of them. That doesn't mean that when it gets down to it, sitting at a table having conversations that you're actually gonna be compatible, right? And early relational excitement often allows for this confusion in this assessment. We like them so much, it's so powerful. How could anything be wrong or off? Well, because it's an idealization, it's a projection. It's based on attraction. But attraction is more than just physical. I'm honoring that. That attraction that you feel towards them is maybe bigger than just the physical, right? But nonetheless, that confuses us right? And so compatibility though, is what's paramount to long-term sustainability and happiness, compatibility. What we were just talking about chemistry, it adds beauty, it it adds energy, but on its own, it's not enough for the long haul. Because again, chemistry is not so much in play anymore when we're hiking when we're at home on the couch together, when we're traveling on an airplane, when we're making decisions, when we're talking at a restaurant. That's when we bump into compatibility. What happens when our two selves come together? It's no longer so much projection and fantasy, right? Chemistry is lust, as I said. It's desire, it's arousal, it's a soup of all of that. It's driven by traction, right? Chemistry thrives on, it's psychology, it's, it's, it, there's no real logic to it, but compatibility is more honest, it's more real, it's more real time, it's about attachment style, it's about our traumas, our intimacy needs, all these different pieces where chemistry's immediate compatibility takes time to assess and to fully experience. So there's there's the first tip. Don't make meaningful or, or, or big decisions based on chemistry. So what that says is how you feel early on is great, enjoy that, ride that out, but you need to pause, give it more time two true selves emerge, then we're looking at compatibility and that's when we can. And from that place is where we should start to make bigger decisions, right? Again, this typically isn't immediate as time is needed. And compatibility shows though, what happens when we come together and here it is, ready? The mo- one of the most powerful moments, one of the most important moments when we really get to assess that compatibility is in a time of conflict. And that's surprising to some, because they would think that conflict inherently says we don't have compatibility. That's wrong. Conflict's going to happen. You're two different people. No matter how much chemistry compatibility you have, you're going to see the world differently at times, or have different needs, or needs that are in opposition to each other. So conflict, the presence of it, isn't bad. It's how you deal with conflict that matters. How you deal with conflict is how we best assess compatibility. So I love asking that of friends. Oh, I met this person, they're really great. So much chemistry, I think of them all the time. I love texting them, great. When they have their first fight, I say, how did you guys manage that? What did it look like? What did it sound like? How did you resolve it? Is it resolved? That's how I assess compatibility. And if they say it got nasty, it got mean, we punished each other, we ignored each other for a while, I go, you're not really that compatible. You don't really work through things that well. When you come together and things are difficult, you don't do so well. What's that gonna be like over the long haul? Cause you're gonna have more issues. Conflict is a part of being a human in a relationship. So that's what I zero in on. And that's really hard for people to look at. That's why you have to be our, you know, I want us to be honest, but we have to be our better selves in those, in, those, in those times of frustration. Compatibility shows us if we work well together, our values, our ethics, how healthy, how much care the other person affords someone, right? That's really, really meaningful. Compatibility is when you're able to engage without a lot of friction because your likes and dislikes don't cause issues. It's the blending of your personalities, right? Compatibility is what predicts like what's gonna come, how, how well this will feel, right? And you don't wanna get these two forces confused, you know? um so we got to take a break and when we come back we'll kind of finish this off really landing this um and then we'll be doing some dms so if you got a dm for us drop it in uh the uh loveline ig in those dms and check out past episodes over at wearechannelq.com scroll down look for my face click on it bam there they all are you can post them share them binge listen um Yeah, I think this one's really important. Uh, This is also in my book, Rebel Love. So if you want to read more about this, pick up my book, Rebel Love, and also my book, Sex Outside the Lines. I got some of that stuff in there, but uh, stick around. We'll be back listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and uh, really just trying to kind of uh, problem solve and call out some of these issues in early dating and deep relationship when people really aren't sure what perspective to use to better understand why things felt so good in the beginning, they could do no wrong, but now we hate each other and all we do is fight. Ah, the shift from a relationship driven purely by attraction and chemistry into one where compatibility actually is called into question, right? And again, that's what compatibility is, what happens when a personality is come together. Uh, it's, it's more that sense of when we're on the phone talking, when we're at dinner, when we're hiking, when we're negotiating conflict or issues. What is it like? What's that quality like? That's the more important determinant of the success, longevity, or health of a relationship, right? Not how much attraction you have. Attraction's not enough. It's a difficult thing. Just because you love someone or attracted to them doesn't mean you're compatible and should pull off a relationship. Sometimes it's meant to be just more sex-based or friends it is. You know, It really depends. But compatibility itself, let's break that on down. We keep breaking this up. You can write it down. It's a tree with all these branches. Compatibility, what are we talking about? We're talking about physical, right? We're talking about emotional, psychological. We are talking about social. And the newer one that's really arisen with prominence through the recent times is what I call ethical political. Physical is easy, you know? Um, Do we like the same amount of touch? The same kinds of touch, right? Uh, Sex is in there. Do we like sex, the same kinds of sex, the same times, the same ways? And if not, are we open to accommodating and giving to the other, right? That's where compatibility comes in. How do we deal with those differences? But that's the uh, physical piece, is how much closeness we want, how much touch, the kind of touch, the sex, uh, how often we want sex, we wanna weigh in on that. Then again, the emotional psychological, also very vital, right? That's another important part of compatibility, and that is more how we are with each other in terms of emotionality, right? Do we dysregulate each other? Or do we regulate each other? Where? Well, are we are we good at co-regulation, as we call it, right? Um, do our trauma trigger the other? Um, is our is this person we're with willing to work on and be aware of their triggers? And is our partner willing to maybe have some attention to our triggers so as to help us with that, right? Then we talk about the social. If you drink and they're a drinker, social incompatibility. Now, again, we don't need to be aligned on every level, but we wanna have as many levels of compatibility as possible, but social is a big piece. Are you indoorsy or outdoorsy? Do you like to be around large crowds of people and socialize a lot, or do you like more intimate one-on-ones? Do you drink or not? You know, that stuff comes up. I, that was very important to me in early dating, um, as a non-drinker, I would say to people, how do you spend your weekends? How do you spend New Year's Eve? If these are people that love to be with their squad at a bar or a club, drinking and partying, that would never work for me. New Year's Eve, I want a romantic, quiet dinner or a romantic, quiet time with you know, some good friends on the beach, right? I need to be with someone who finds that fun. I need to be with someone who doesn't spend their weekends in bars. I, I, don't, I don't enjoy bar. Bar culture is not for me. Nothing wrong with it, It's just not for me you know, and I'm also more of a daytime person. So that's in there too, social compatibility, daytime, nighttime, all these things matter. And it's important to put language to them so we can talk about them. And if we're incompatible on one or two levels, we, we need to be compatible then on the others. Uh, operating on one level will fail us, we need multiple levels. And then finally, the ever important ethical political. Um, I can't date people that don't align with me ethically. If they think it's okay to harm certain people um, or to be prejudicial or discriminatory based on body shape and size, sexual orientation, gender, race, it'll never work. I can't respect or value someone who thinks that some people's worth as a human is uh, is is open to be questioned, right? Um, so all that stuff can really be meaningful because those things filter down into how we're gonna parent. Uh, where we're going to want to live, the kind of jobs we take, what we like to do with our downtime, the kind of shows we watch, the kind of books we read, and the day-to-day life. Um, And again, chemistry, that lust, that attraction, meaningful, important, that's a glue that holds us together when some of those important levels of compatibility are maybe temporarily not accessible or available, but we can't rely on that. We need other things to hold us together, right? Because partnership is about deep intimacy and time together, so that has to matter. You know, can't just be that, yeah, we think they're hot. <laughs> um, I think there was a time when that might've worked. Intimacy wasn't as prominent as it is now. I think people want more and they want better. I, I, I'm thankful for that. But there was a time when I think people saw partnership as more um, ornamental, right? It was just about having this person in theory or this person around us, but it wasn't really this level of partnership that we now have where it's more equality-based. And that's going to matter. Right, because there's people now that are males that wanna stay home and don't wanna work or females that do wanna work, Uh, people that don't want a child. Like There's so many shifts and changes that we have to be on the same page with those pieces. But anyway, that's a starting point, so assess that. And maybe if your relationship's not going well, it's due to an incompatibility, but the chemistry is high. And that's the key. Long-term happiness is rooted in compatibility, right? And if you have compatibility but no chemistry, you'll be happy but you'll miss that passion and that fire. If you only have chemistry, you'll have a lot of passion and fire but you're gonna fight a lot and that passion and fire will show up in the fighting. Because again, as I always say, relationships take work but not a lot of work and if they do, you're not compatible. And sometimes we have to just resolve, you know, our resolve is the idea that we aren't built to be together in that way. All right, you All right, y'all. coming up next, we're going to slide into those DMS. So if you got a DM for us drop it in our love line, a G page in the DMS, always anonymous, always confidential, whatever you're wondering about, put those questions in there. Someone else might be wondering about the same thing. So you're kind of helping us all out and uh past episodes of love line over at, wearechannelq.com. stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to love line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on odyssey. All right, y'all, we are back. And now it's time to glide into those DMs. Gliding into the DMs. Tonight's DM says, hey, Dr. Chris, I'm kind of bad at keeping friends. One minute I have good relationships and I'm happy and I'm social, but the next I don't return text messages. I'm distant. And when I do go out, I just kind of want to go home. I'm very hot and cold with friends. And so I feel like they stop inviting me places or forget about me. I don't know how to explain how I feel and that's not their fault. It's just me. Yes, Well, you might be an introvert, extrovert. (laughs) It might change on context. Maybe you're just completely introverted. You do value friends. But for a lot of us, myself included, once we spend time with a friend, we need a lot of time to kind of recharge and we need time away. I know for me personally, and a lot of patients I work with in my practice, that if we go out on a Friday night, for instance, and socialize, we might want the rest of the week off we're working, we have laundry to do, and we value time on our own. I know anyone who's doing a lot of uh, self-reflection and self-growth, you need time away and alone. You cannot be really working on yourself when you're out in the world around a lot of people. It's actually very much a distraction from sitting and working on self. Most of the important self-transformative practices are solo things, reading, reflecting, journaling, active imagination, meditation, rest, reading, reading you know, using workbooks, self-help books. Those are all solo journeys, therapy. Um, There's nothing wrong with not liking a high level of socialization. There's nothing wrong with not having a multitude of friends. Um, So here's the deal. You said, I have good relationships and I'm happy and social. And then at one point, I don't want to turn messages and I get distant. Most likely the problem is not the distance or the space or the silence. It's that your friends don't understand the meaning in that. So all you have to do is be very lovingly transparent and honest with them about who you are and what the expectations can be. And then they'll understand that it's not them and they will continue to keep themselves in your life. So here's what I tell you to do. Let them know, hey, I just wanted to call it out because I care about you and you're a good friend of mine. I often need a lot of alone time. I'm not as social as some people think. So please keep asking me to hang out, but I don't socialize that much and I don't necessarily text every day. Let people know who you are. And if someone reaches out, it's okay to say, hey, having kind of a quiet day. Thanks for checking in. We'll talk soon. Follow up with something. But we call it framing. Frame the interaction. Let them know who you are and what you need. Also, again, tell them what the expectations can be on you. Because if all the other friends are blowing up text messages all day and hanging out with them multiple times a week, understandably, it'll throw them off if you're relating to them differently. And I have to tell some people that, hey, I don't text every day. Hey, I don't hang out with people consistently. I need time off, I need time away. Just ask for that, they'll give you that, right? If your friends are hypersocial, that doesn't mean you have to be participating keeping up with that. But we don't want people to misinterpret our boundaries, our private time, our downtime, our quiet time as it being a rejection right so how do you explain how you feel by telling them vulnerably and honestly that's always the answer when someone says how do i the answer is always vulnerably and honestly it doesn't even matter what the topic is because you just don't want them to take it personally you don't have to keep up with them you don't have to you know meet the expectations but you do want to be a part of setting the appropriate and right ones i have to tell all of my friends that hey guys i have a thousand different careers i value time alone and introspective work I also have hobbies. I'm also in a committed relationship. I'm not gonna be texting as much as some of the single party friends will. You know what I mean? That's not my jam. I don't like bars. I don't drink. I don't like crowds. I do the one-on-one thing. So just keep consistent. See them once a week. Check in on them. That's also part of it. If you're motivated and active and you reach out to them, that's really meaningful. So just don't make sure that they're always the initiator. You initiate, let them know who you are, let them know what you need. And uh, that's great. And if that doesn't work for them, then you guys are not socially compatible. If they feel like they need someone more present, more consistent, someone who's always up to hang out or do whatever, then you guys aren't the right friends. And that's okay to recognize too you know, so just be yourself and don't feel so bad about it, but frame it, own it, set those expectations. All oh, right, Rachel, that's our show. If you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. You can check us out. You can check out, excuse me, past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. And uh, tomorrow we'll be talking about what to do if you can't afford therapy. What are your options and what is available? And then we're going to be talking about the cycle of abuse. Are you an abuser? Are you trapped in that? More importantly, how do we get out? Important stuff to know because May is Mental Health Awareness Month. But more importantly, as always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. Be kind to yourselves and to other people and enjoy the rest of your night. Gliding into the DMs is brought to you by Astroglide.